I definitely have seen the relationship between a supplier and the buyer change and become much more of a partnership. It's much more than just purchasing and the act of buying. It's come down to understanding all aspects of that cycle and utilizing that as you work with a supplier. And the suppliers have have responded, right? They're bringing more of that value-add capability to the equation than, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Ready to talk logistics? How? Can't be done. Figure out some logistics. Welcome to another episode of Supply Chain Therapy. I'm your host, Alex Kent, joined by my fabulous co-host, Michelle McNamara. Michelle, what's happening? Not much. Raining over here in San Francisco, but we have a great guest for you today. We have Siobhan Hunter, VP of Global Supply Chain for Ember and founder of Blind Dog Supply Chain Risk Consulting. Siobhan got her start before there was even the term supply chain, back at NCR Microelectronics, an ASIC semiconductor manufacturer. She stuck to electronics for a while as she held senior roles at Celestica, Jable, and Blackberry. Siobhan loves a good challenge and in turn founded her own consulting firm, Blind Dog, in 2021. Now she'll be closing the chapter on Ember to focus her wide breadth of knowledge on more projects. Siobhan, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Michelle. It's great to be here. Awesome. Well, this is supply chain therapy after all. So let's kick it off with a collective deep breath. We inhale and we exhale. It's always so funny how much I need those when we do it. All right, Siobhan. I like it. (laughs) Every time. Let's jump in. So, you know, Alex and I, we love the juice, the drama. Do you have any fun stories from your past of, of something that maybe went wrong or was a challenge for you in supply chain? Yeah. I mean, there's always so many stories, right? And and sometimes you tend to put them out of your mind uh, as you move forward. But I think the one that you know was probably one of the more painful was a situation where a new product was coming to market. And to get in front of the supply chain lead times, we went out and purchased materials, electronic components to support a volume of 150,000 finished units. And at the time, that was the volume that we were anticipating. And, you know, you were looking at year plus lead times on many of the electronic parts. At the time, we thought that was a wise decision. And I had, you know, was relatively new with the company and then learned that the bill of material was not stable. So there were several changes which impacted the components on the bill of material. The product launch pushed out significantly. And then the volume subsequently went down as the market changed for that product. So you were left with a significant excess and in in some cases, obsolete, obsolescent situation. And that was that was painful. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure you're not the first to go through it. Um, I have a lot of questions. Why don't we start? What did you learn? I mean, if you had to go through that again, is there anything? Of course, you would say, yeah, I'm just not going to buy the product. But you know, not knowing what you know now, what would you do maybe differently? Yeah. I mean, not buying anything really wasn't an option because, you know, because of the the state of the supply chain at the time and and the lead times. But you know, learning from that, there's a few things I would do differently. One would be first and foremost, understand 
the stability of the bill of material that you need to procure. Where is engineering at in stabilizing the design? Is it 50% frozen? Is it 90% frozen? Makes a big difference, especially from a cost and ultimate liability perspective. Two, likewise, understand how confident we are in that product launch timeframe and in the volume that you should procure. And next time I wouldn't procure the entire bomb. I would procure only those long lead time parts and I would size them from a financial perspective, understand with engineering the confidence in those parts changing or being you know, kept on the bill of materials so that it's clear to the entire company, the liability, you know, that you're buying at risk mm-hmm. and what that size and cost of that liability is. Do you think that supply chain typically does get brought in at the right time? Like, do you feel like supply chain and product were working together from the get-go? Yeah, in this case, no. Um, It was very late in the process. And the um, assumptions that were made, because I was brand new to the company, were that the the bill of material was far more stable. That if we were being asked to procure the bill of material would be stable. And that's not, don't, don't make that assumption. Oftentimes engineering, and we love engineering, don't get me wrong. Don't really understand, nor really care about the consequences of those changes um, because they're just thinking about what's best for the design and for the ultimate product, understandably. But yeah, there, in many cases, supply chain is kind of at the tail end when um, ideally yeah. you want them right in there understanding the, the, the um, product development cycle and where you are in it. When launching a new product, kind of walk us through, if you can, you know, how cross-functional it is, how important it is to have, you know, we're talking about supply chain working with engineering in this example, but what other mm-hmm. groups are sort of included from your perspective and, and the contingencies that go about that? Obviously, you have to have everyone on the same page. So how does that cross-functional process work in, in a, an ideal environment? How about that? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great question. In an ideal environment, you've got a supplier engineer or sourcing person that's involved from the get-go. So as you're designing and like even at concept stage and looking at componentry, sub-assemblies, anything that you need to procure, you've got a sourcing expert that can be helping with that sometimes engineering doing that sourcing, which is often the case, Mm. they're looking at it from a technical perspective, which is one attribute, but you also have, you know, you've got to look at it from a commercial perspective as well, understanding, you know, where's that supply base, the stability of that supplier, the pricing from that supplier. So there's much more that goes into it than, than just the technical capability. Oftentimes engineers will select based on relationship, you know, who's mm-hmm. been call, who's been contacting them. <laughs> and again, that's not a bad thing. It just shouldn't be the only attribute that's brought into the picture. And so having a sourcing expert right up front so that they can really provide options to the engineering team based on technical requirements, but then also taking into account those other aspects, those commercial aspects is really the ideal situation uh, versus engineering selecting. And then effectively it's too late by the time they've come to us, come to supply chain for us to bring in additional alternatives or do negotiations because they've already been designed in, if you will. Yeah. And I'm curious, we didn't even mention much of the go-to-market 
piece of it. Like marketing tends to be getting a lot of flack from supply chain. You know, they have a promotion. No one even consults supply chain and suddenly everyone's scurrying around. But I guess it depends on where in the life cycle the product is. Where in the product life cycle. But, you know, to to use the example that um, I gave of the painful situation, you know, there's a good example of where perhaps sales marketing and and supply chain weren't aligned. The original uh, demand of 150,000 was thought to be accurate. And it's hard when you're launching a brand new product that you don't have any type of competitive landscape for. There's not a, you know, there's not a like product in the industry. So I get that that's, it's going to be difficult. Mm -hmm. But to your point, Michelle, you, you still do want to have some integration between the three players on um, what is the right number for us to launch. I mean, is it okay that we go low and potentially be constrained in a product launch or do we want to go high and potentially, you know, have some additional materials, but we'd rather take that, that approach. So uh, that, that, that alignment between those organizations is critical. Yep. That makes sense. Excellent. All right. Well, let's talk about your most recent venture. So you were at Ember Technologies. Can you tell us what brought you to Ember? What's been maybe interesting about that experience? Yeah. I mean, I actually was doing some, started by doing some consulting for them. Uh, Their CEO at the time uh, and I had worked together in the past. And when he joined Ember, he saw opportunities. It's a young company and they were growing rapidly. And so I joined to do consulting uh, on some of their new products. And then subsequently they asked me to join on a full-time capacity. And uh, I liked, I liked the product and where they were headed. And so I decided to join them full-time. Love it. And I know you're drinking from an Ember mug. Should we do a quick product plug for Ember? <laughs> oh, sure, we, we, we can. I mean, yes. All right. Walk Here's us through what we're, walk us through, Siobhan, what we're looking at for those that are, that are oh. unfamiliar. Yeah. So this is, this is a, the Ember uh, ceramic mug. This is a, a 10 ounce mug. They come in all different colors, but, but the technology of the product is that inside of here is not only Bluetooth, it's not only Bluetooth enabled, so I can change the temperature of it from my app wow. um, that's on my phone, but it's a battery that you sit on a coaster and it charges it. And, and then when you lift it from the coaster, it's keeps it at the temperature that you've set it at. Mine is at 135 degrees, which is what I like. <laughs> is that normal? And it will keep... I don't know what, what the normal I don't know what the common? normal temperature is. I know. No, that's that's about typical, but I mean okay. some people like their coffee hotter, some might yeah. like it cooler. Wow. Um so yeah, and it's you know it's one of those things where you don't know that you need that you don't you need it until you have one of these and you're never drinking cold coffee <laughs> and, and I'm a slow, I drink slowly. So, you know, I'm inevitably going to have one and then you put it in the microwave and it never tastes right. That's right. So this is, it's yeah. lovely. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. Fantastic. So that's what that is. <laughs> and I know they have a pretty new program called cold chain management. You want to speak to that at yes. all? Yeah. That it's a, it's a fascinating uh, innovation and something that I think so many people don't really know about. I think COVID uh, really brought cold chain to the vernacular of the everyday person because of the fact that the vaccines needed to be transported at very precise temperatures. But a lot of pharmaceuticals need to be transported at 
cold temperatures. And if they lose that temperature, they they lose their efficacy. And so Mm -hmm. you've got waste from that. And the way that product is transported today is in corrugated cardboard with gel packs. So uh, you can imagine the amount of waste as well as waste of the packaging materials that typically are not recycled. And then also if they get left somewhere midstream, they miss a flight, et cetera, the product inside, which is oftentimes very expensive, can be rendered useless. So the product, the cold cube, is a reusable smart box effectively that um, will keep the temperature at what you set it at. It also has GPS tracking so that you know exactly where that cube is at any point in time along its journey to its ultimate destination. And then once it's reached the destination, the, the receiver simply pushes return to home and it sends out a signal to the carrier, be it UPS or FedEx, they will come and pick it up and what? return it. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's and cool. so it is Incredible. reusable. Yeah, it's reusable. It's trackable. It'll tell you the temperature. So if my example that I gave, if you know it misses the plane, it's sitting on a tarmac. You can tell the temperature of the product inside so that you know if the product is still good or if it needs to be plugged in and cooled again or get it, you know, get it to another temperature. So it's it's an amazing um, solution for a problem that's been out there for a long time. But, um, you know, Amber has partnered with Cardinal uh, Health Solutions and a U.S. exclusive to bring that uh, to bring it to market and exclusively for their business from a business to business standpoint. So it's very exciting. The wonderful world of supply chain when we don't even know what's out there, but we need solutions for it. Right. I had yeah. no idea, exactly. would never have crossed my mind, but what an awesome piece of technology to, to bring to market and really cool, really fascinating. All right, let's switch to more of your background. So you say you've been in supply chain since before supply chain was a thing. What else has changed yeah. since you've um, joined the industry? Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because the term supply chain wasn't around. My first job in the field was I was a supply line manager. Nice. And even that was like <laughs> what you're a purchasing manager. But, you know, I think a lot has changed. I, I look at, I think first and foremost, I look at the way that we treat and hold our supplier relationships today. You know, when I started in the business, I feel like the buyer and the seller, you know, it was more of a transactional and in some cases, you know, an an us versus them relationship Uh where you were, you know, firmly negotiating solely on price. And um, it was, what can you do for me? And, you know, the buyer was sometimes the beating up the supplier. I definitely have seen that, you know, the relationship between a supplier and the buyer change and become much more of a partnership and, uh, and with suppliers at adding much more value to the equation than, you know, 20, 30 years ago. What are some of those examples of that you can touch on of just providing value from a supplier aspect to the customer, right? I mean, what what's changed about that where it's not just about price or speed or quality, you know, and really providing, I guess, the value um, yeah. to you guys? Yeah. Um, well, you know, it used to be, even when you think about, you know, buying, you can name anything, but let's just say, you know, you're, you're buying a widget. It used to be mm-hmm. that you just look for, you know, the widget that serves your needs. 
and looking for the lowest cost of that. Now you take into account what other services does that widget supplier provide me? Can they help me with my design? Can they help me with development? Can they offer supply chain services? So lead time reduction opportunities. Can they provide me with engineering support? Uh, so it, it becomes where you're, you're not just negotiating on price or looking for the lowest mm-hmm. cost. You're looking for the, the, the highest value. And that takes into account more than just the price tag. It takes into account the quality of the product, the lead time of the product. I mean, I may be able to get a part for, you know, 10 cents cheaper, um, which, you know, based on volume could mean a lot, but if the lead time is, a year and I can get another product for six months at six monthly time, then there's a value equation there. It's, you know, because if I have to buy much further out where my forecast may not be as solid, there's higher, there's a more risk. So you have to take into account all of that. And so I feel like, you know, that's where the term supply chain has really derived from is there's, it's much more than just purchasing and the act of buying it's it's come down to understanding all aspects of that cycle and utilizing that as you work with a supplier and the suppliers have have responded right they're bringing more of that value add capability to the table and weren't you saying that um back in the 90s you used a yellow book to find your your vendors <laughs> yeah you're dating and me so michelle this is <laughs> But I think that points to the searchability, like once um, brands can get more choice in in who they get to work with, that it really opens up that relate, it opens up the chance to have a relationship versus, oh, I have to use you. You could treat me terribly, but I have to use you. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, um, the competitive landscape has completely changed, right? I mean, once you had online presence and people could search, just plug it into a search yep. engine and off you go and up comes all the different choices. And, you know, you can get very specific with your searches. It used to be that you literally would use catalogs to find suppliers of whether it's a good or a service. Sometimes your search was based on how current the catalog was. Um, and then also just, you know, a lot of it was just relationship based, you know, who yeah. you knew and, and and who was referred to you. But that competitive landscape has, has dramatically changed. It's allowed more entrance, I think, into the marketplace uh, and to become viable uh, candidates. And then also they, it's driven them to be more value added, as we discussed, because there are more entrants. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I remember, I remember when I was, um, in a supply line management position, we had one cube that was effectively like the library of those catalog books. Oh my gosh. Um, (laughs) and the buy, and the buyers would go there to, you know, to look up and, and look for, you know, something that a, a a customer, an an internal person wanted. And so that's how they would, we would often source goods and services. That's great. Okay. So yellow books, leave them in the past, bullying and the oh, yeah. rough relationships, leave them in the past. What would you, what would you keep and bring? Like, what did you think we did really well at the early days of supply chain that it's either good that we're keeping, or maybe we should bring back a little bit more. What we're starting to see, and we're starting to see it again is 
in some cases is more vertical integration. Hmm. Um, and what I mean by that is where a, a supplier will, they'll say they produce the widget, but they'll also provide packaging or they'll provide the raw material that goes into the widget. Yeah. So they own more steps in, in the manufacturing process. And it used to be that, you know, companies, they were completely vert- vertically integrated. So they owned all the aspects, including say the end manufacturer. Huh. And then we've, and we've gone, yeah, and that went, you know, to where it was almost 180 degrees. The vertical integration completely went away. Yeah. And I think we are starting to see some of that come back largely because, you know, the, the pandemic really shined a light on our dependence on all of these sub-tier suppliers, many of which are geographically dispersed. Mm-hmm. And and so if just one cog in that wheel is impacted, it impacts everything. And so we are starting to see some of those, those providers be vertically integrated so that the uh, supplier has more ownership and, you know, and, and isn't a hundred percent reliant for all aspects of their business. So I think that's a change that we're starting to see. And, and it's not necessarily a bad, a bad one. I, I don't think we'll go back to seeing a hundred percent vertical integration because sure, it's yeah. hard to be good at everything, but maybe to have a, a bit more ownership on, uh, on some of the aspects. Yeah. And then you don't have to manage as many relationships. It's nice when And you have a little more control Mm -hmm. uh, than, you know, being a hundred percent. And I guess the word would be vulnerable, you know, depending on the climate of the market. Great. So you spent quite a few years in supply chain and then you decided to hop over to Blue Cross Blue Shield to solve more logistics problems, but not focused on getting goods from point A to point B. So can you describe what your role was there? Yeah, it was kind of a, it was Kind of a funny story in the sense of, you know, I'd worked in technology since I got out of school. And so high tech is awesome, fast paced, but you ride the wave, right? Of the highs and lows of the tech field. And we're seeing that today, right? And in some of the announcements that are being made with the, the, the layoffs. So I had ridden that wave for a good while and decided to, you know, maybe make a bit of a change and that's the beauty of supply chain, right? Mm-hmm. It is a highly transferable skill and saw a position as the director of demand management. Well, in my world, coming from supply chain management, demand management is managing the demand from your customer that will ultimately drive a supply forecast. So I thought, okay, I know what that is. I know how to do that. But the weird thing was, is the role was in IT. Mm. So long story short, um, I interviewed and I, I, I got the position and what it was, was that the, uh, the company had outsourced their IT infrastructure. So their data center to a third party. And as part of the deal, they bought back resources, human resources to manage IT work, IT projects, you know, uh, they had IT engineering. And so the demand management aspect was managing that pool of resources and setting up a forecasting process that they'd never needed before because they'd never outsourced it. They were all internal Blue Cross resources. And so managing how do we take our requirements internally and turn those into a forecast, if you will, and a resource allocation. 
And so the experience that I'd gained in forecasting and managing supply really translated into the exact same thing, but it was with people and time. Mm. Wow. Would you say it was easier, harder than your previous positions? How did it compare? Well, that's a, you know, it's harder. You can't roll over people yes, resources, <laughs> meaning it's perishable, right? right? I can't say, but I underused 20 hours last month. Let me roll those over into this month. Totally. So you don't have that capability. And then the other thing that you had to deal with was that, you know, you had a, you had finite resources of different skill sets. Yes. But it was, it was really fun developing that forecasting capability, developing a demand management process with the outsourced provider. And um, yeah, it took us about a year to get it really up and running and humming. Nice. And, uh, and yeah, yeah, it was good. That's great. And so how would you describe those skills to be applicable to you know, the rest of your supply chain? Were you able to bring anything over when you came back? First and foremost, you had... What I definitely knew was, you know, supplier relationships, yep. right? Supplier management. And, and the truth is, is it doesn't matter what it is that you're buying. You know, the, the relationship between the buyer and the seller, uh, the supplier and the customer, it's the same. It's the same fundamentals, um, you know, understanding the business relationship, the contractual terms, but more important, you know, than the contract is just how are we going to work together? Like we have Mm. mutually have a goal. And so it's understanding their goal and they understanding our goal as a customer and then working together to get there. So I, I knew that I understood outsourcing and the fact that for many clients that can be a challenge. So let me give you just a quick example you know, you can own an, a piece of your business. We could, we can use this as an example, right? You, you, the data center used to be, you know, managed and owned by Blue Cross and Blue Cross employees ran it. But then all of a sudden, when you sell that entity and now you're buying back the capability, all the things that you couldn't do before, now you magically expect them to be done. Yep. Right. Uh, and so, you know, so oftentimes, that the outsourcing provider is like starts in a hole because their expectations on them that are are somewhat unrealistic. So I think, you know, bringing that kind of empathy and understanding to the table and knowing that from my outsourcing background in the past really does help. I think understanding the fundamentals of forecasting and planning and again, it doesn't really matter what you're forecasting. Yeah. It's the same skill set that you bring to the role. And I'm not an IT person at all. You know, I know enough now to be dangerous and to kind of sound like I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But um, but that wasn't what was required, right? It was those business competencies that were really needed. That's great. All right, let's talk about your consulting company. Can you first tell us how you got the name Blind Dog? <laughs> Yes. Well, first off, I'd have to give a shout out to my son who named the company. I, during COVID, I adopted a dog. I got Phoebe when she was seven weeks old and she was blind. Yeah. She was uh, the runt of the litter and, you know, all her siblings were like just clamoring on top of her. And I felt so bad. I said, I'll take that one. And she was blind from birth. You know, she was a rescue. So, Long story short, I have a blind dog and my son had said, well, you should name your consulting company 
blind dog risk. And I thought, well, that's kind of fun. And then I came up with the logo just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. And, um, and I, I, and it stuck. And so that's how I got the name. That's awesome. So (laughs) cool. Great. All right. So what's next for blind dog? What, what do you have planned this year? Yeah. Well, you know, I'm kind of just getting back out there, utilizing my network to find opportunities, but at the heart of it, you know, I, I really love to develop processes. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about the demand management one is building a capability that wasn't there. And I enjoy doing that, uh, working on a project level on a specific task or initiative or problem and working to implement the solution and then, uh, and then moving on to the next project. So I'm really looking for those opportunities. It, Honestly, the industry does not matter to me. Like I said, it could be electronics or technology. It could be consumer products. It could be really any industry. The beauty of supply chain is that it's, again, it's highly transferable. So that's what I'm hoping to do this year. I'm excited to get back out there. Excellent. I wish you the best of luck. If people want to get a hold of you, how should they, how should they reach you? Um, my email would probably be the best way at Siobhan at blinddogrisk.com. And, um, and I would love to hear from you. Excellent. We'll put it in the transcript. Okay. I have one final question before we pass it to Alex. I always like to end with career advice. What would you give someone looking to join supply chain? Any advice you'd have? Yeah. I mean, look, years ago when I was going through university, there was no such thing as a supply chain management degree. And now there is, which is awesome, but that does not mean that, you know, you can only be in supply chain if you get a degree in supply chain operations and not at all, not at all. I've seen a lot of engineers be in the supply chain world, which is actually great because then they have the technical chops, um, especially in say a high tech environment. But, you know, I'd say focus on what are, where are your strengths? Are you analytical? Are you good with numbers? If so, you might want to look at a career, starting your career in planning, um, supply chain planning, master planning mm. really gives, really takes advantage of those skill sets. If you are really good at communications, maybe negotiation, you're a real, you know, real people person going into the sourcing side, maybe, or being a buyer, maybe the right place for you to start. I take the notion to cast a wide net. Uh The benefit of my career path is that I've done a bit of everything and not necessarily focused in on one aspect of supply chain because there's so many, right? All the way from forecasting all the way through reverse logistics. And you can go deep in any one of those. Mm. Um, You can, so when you're young or starting out, try to see what all of them are like, you know, take opportunities to be exposed to all of those facets. And then you may decide to go deep in one of them and become a subject matter expert or kind of stay to where you can, you know, take on more of maybe a overall supply chain management leadership role, which is really the kind of the path that I took. But yeah, it is a wonderful career path for anyone. Love it. It is. Definitely is. And, and Siobhan, we've so enjoyed having you on. Wrapping it up here with some speed questions, speed round, fun questions. So if, if you didn't work in supply chain, what would you be doing? Yeah. You know, at my age, we get to ask that question a lot. You know, it's like, what would you do? And, you know, if if income, and sadly, it is the case, but if it wasn't, I think I'd be a high school teacher. 
I like that age group. I mean, they're, you know, it's a tough age too, especially as you're getting close to making a decision, right? Are you going to go the college route? Are you going to, are you going to go into the workforce? And what I've found, and I've done quite a bit of volunteering in high schools in speaking and doing guest teaching is that so many kids are coming out of school, young adults, I should say, without necessary life skills. You know, they don't really know what a resume is. They don't know interviewing skills. They don't understand how interest works. They don't understand what a credit score is uh, and why that's important. Um, even what, even, even debt, uh, just, just mm. to name a few. So if I could go back, I think I'd be a, like a high school teacher that could teach life skills and, and go through all that, all those things that, you know, we come out of school with, and many of us as 18 year olds and don't understand, yeah. I think I'd be pretty good at it. That's fantastic. So that's what I would do. Yeah. That's fantastic. Fantastic. I guess switching gears, are, are you watching anything good right now? I just finished watching Breaking Bad, mm. you know, the full, the full series. I had originally watched it about seven and a half years ago. So it was long enough to where, you know, I knew it, but I couldn't remember all the details. Yep. And so I just finished watching it. God, that show is just it's so good. It's so good. You know, even watching it the second time, I was like, gosh, this is a great show. That's right. So, yes. And then, you know, you meet people that are like, oh, yeah, I never liked it. And I'm like, oh, no. How? <laughs> but, but yeah. Yeah. So Breaking Bad, that was what I went to for the last, probably last couple of couple months, you know, as I went through all the seasons. That's great. All right. Wrapping up here. Last question for me. Anything that we, we haven't asked you that you, you wanted us to ask or, or that you want to bring up now? I think um, if, you know, if there's folks listening and are thinking about a career, I would highly recommend you can be technical. You can be business oriented. You could have you know a, just about any type of discipline. You also don't necessarily you know need to have a, a college education if you are smart and sharp and work hard to get into the space. It can be a wonderful opportunity for you. So I would just you know highly recommend it you know for for everyone. And I really appreciate you guys having me on today. This has been a lot of fun. Well, we appreciate you joining us on uh, this episode of Supply Chain Therapy, Siobhan. So thank you again, and uh, we'll see you around. All right. Take care. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Supply Chain Therapy, a podcast brought to you by Stored. Make your supply chain a competitive advantage. Go to stored.com to learn more.